And the timer is running, so I know it's actually recording. Excellent. That is the worst. I've, I've heard that happen a few times. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Welcome to episode 128 of Auto Off Topic. What's up, Brad? Is that Route 128? Not quite. Or The 128? The 128, maybe. So we had that conversation a lot about uh, The and Root. Um, anyway, we have a guest tonight, Andrew, don't we? We do. We do. Uh, waiting on the line is our friend Ron of Radwood fame for driving a car across country. We'll get into that later. Um, Ron, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Excellent. So you are a West Coast transplant, or East Coast to West Coast transplant. I am. How long did it take you to get used to calling roads by the and then the number versus just calling it Route 95 or 95 out there? You, you say, oh, we're going to take a drive on the 40 or the 10. Um, interesting. Yeah, I was a pretty early adopter. Uh, I had this this real resolve to immerse myself in the in the custom and the dialect as quickly as possible. So. Oh, okay. Where, where I know a lot of people, including my own parents, resist and just go with what they've always known, I, I tended to make a, an effort to get right to that um, so I, that I didn't appear to be the new person or the weird person. Okay, it's fun. that's funny because we've been... Quirks and, quirks and social phobias, and I don't like to draw attention to myself. I got you. Strange. I got you. <laughs> Which is strange, knowing that I know you from driving old cars, which is certainly a way to draw attention to yourself. Anyway, that's unimportant to the rest of the conversation. I just thought it was interesting because I've had that conversation a lot recently because I've been doing a lot of East Coast, mm-hmm. West Coast travel. And mm-hmm. the whole The 95 isn't something we would say here in Massachusetts. I don't even say I-95. I just say 95. Just say 95. You know what you're talking yeah, about. 93, yeah. 95. Anyway. So interestingly enough, I can switch back and forth seamlessly. So when I am on the East Coast, I can revert because those routes don't make sense to me and they don't sound right to me um, with with the, the the part. But it makes perfect sense here. So I think I it's a giant that. mental game. I, 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 yeah, I got lucky on that one. Yeah, I think it's a giant mental game. <laughs> anyway, so Ron, um, yes, thank you for joining us tonight. I I met you a few months ago through cars. Obviously, that's why you're here. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You drove an interesting vehicle to us as a podcast, and a lot of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Should we start where we first spotted the car? Sure, go ahead. At Radwood Philly. Oh, of course, yeah. We saw the car before we knew you, so we yes. saw the car in October. Mm-hmm. So there was a gold-colored. Um, actually, the true color is Palermo gray. If I'm not not mistaken, correct? Palermo gray, right? Yes. Which is more of a champagne than a gray. It is not gray. Yeah, <laughs> in some lights it's kind of gray, but usually it's kind of a. It's very similar to Andrew's talon, actually, or like the yeah. color name of my wife's cross track, which is cool khaki gray, and it's like it's blue. Robin's like blue. blue. Yeah. Yes. Um, anyway, so we spotted your car, and we were totally into it, even though it had a couple of questionable interior additions that we could see as we went through it. Um, there was there was some some additions. Yeah. Yep. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on the car yet because we're not quite there. But Ron owns a 88? Yes. Okay, so an 88 Mitsubishi Starion. Mm-hmm. Please don't call it a Conquest. 
the fleet's not called a conquest. Right, it's not a conquest. It's, it's a true, it's no, a true it's a Japanese, it's a Japanese trans -am. Yes, we call, as you call it affectionately, the JTA. Oh, yes. I never yes. heard that. Okay, yeah, like that makes that. sense. Yeah. Okay, so before we get into that, what in your life, Ron, drew you to cars in the first place? Oh, since birth. Um, oh, it's good. Never ended. Um, one of us. One of us. Yes. Um, father influence. Uh, yeah. Driving on the lap at an early age, riding in the backward back seat because I'm an old person and we had those back when I was a child. That's okay. Um, we, we, we did too, so we're also. <laughs> Hello, fellow um, old. Not not quite this vintage, but I appreciate it. Um, yeah, a few years you know, off. Driving, learning manual at 12, 13 years old in a parking lot, um, all those things. Um, and then early, not not as an adult the way you guys are into it, but but sure as a child, the die-cast stuff, the models, the building models, the, the magazines, the posters. Um, pretty much it's been a nonstop obsession since I can remember. So what was the vehicle uh, that you the, learned to drive at 13 with a standard? That would have been a 1980 Datsun 310GX. Killer. Um, early front-wheel drive Datsun, yep. which I think predated the Pulsar in this market. Kind of a quirky, quirky yeah, little was thing a weird, when Datsun was, first went front-wheel drive. It was a little bigger than a 210. but Yes, just a little bit. I think it was previously, in rear drive form, it was an F10. Yeah, which had the weird, exactly. like, ultra-large headlight bezels. Weird cars. The, the X-10 did, yeah. And then the 310 was a little bit more conventional, um, two-door hatch-looking thing. But that was that was my dad's car for quite a while when I was a kid. I've always um, I've always liked pretty, the F-10. It's kind of an unloved but interesting car. Yeah, I love all those old Datsuns. Um, a lot of my family, old family members, uncles and, and aunts and whatnot, had B-210s and... and um, whatever X-10 wagons of the day. So, always done those. So, as a car guy, every car guy has usually a pretty interesting car history. Um, you've mm -hmm. had way more cars than we have time to talk about. But, um, what do you, what, what, what are your, some of your, your highlight cars? Like, your first car, and then some stuff you've had in between. Oh, alright. Um, first car... I guess you can relate to this a little bit. Uh, 1971 Oldsmobile Cutlass S. Yes, I can. Um, typical mid-80s high school parking lot looking disaster um, of, of the time. But uh, to me, that probably 200 horsepower was, was quite a bit with, with questionable brakes and suspension. It's kind of like a, a wooden roller coaster. It's, it's exciting even if it's slow. Yeah, any first car is exciting. Um, it's slow. It could be a golf cart in your first car. For sure. Car. Yeah, four-wheel drum brakes, not all of them ever working at all at one time. It, it, it provides a lot of entertainment, but it makes you a better driver, after all. Oh, 100%. Burning um, on the garbage. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I also had Cutlass for a first car, but mine was, if yours was 200 mm -hmm. horsepower, mine was like 73. It was pretty terrible. Well, and, and that's that's, that's probably a net figure, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's probably being very generous, especially with the uh, the abuse and miles that it had on it by the mid to late eighties. But oh, when when you're in your first car, it feels like it's a thousand horsepower, no matter how little it is it, anyway. So, at least well, it had glass packs, and that adds easily fifty horsepower. Yeah. Yes, at least course. it was pretty small. Alone. 
Yeah, it was definitely. It was, but it was it was low compression. So it was the first year of a low compression GM. So and uh, the infamous three fifty rocket with with a two barrel. <laughs> Oh, I, I had two. I had two less cylinders and the same amount of barrels on my cut list. So, <laughs> and living in the Northeast, a lot of times I'd have to open the hood in the morning and stuff a screwdriver down the carburetor in order to keep the car. Oh, running. for sure. So it was, it was an early. Days. It was an early learning experience to the carburetor, which uh, mm-hmm. Andrew Andrew here never had. So that's why he doesn't get them get them like I do, because he was lucky. He doesn't enough, get the carb life. He doesn't get the carb life. He was lucky enough to have a fuel injected car for his first car, but. Equal equal horsepower to mine probably with that Volvo, but it was fuel injected. So, <laughs> but that's cool. So that got you through high school. Yeah. Um, then I kind of started this almost lifelong um, back and forth thing between sort of traditional domestic rear drive cars and then to mostly Japanese compact also rear drive cars which is a pretty weird combination um the next probably car of uh of any interest was what started the, the long toyota um love which was a 1976 celica gt back um did terrible things to that car and i, I it's one of the ones i wish i still had no one knew that they would be someday so valuable and rare. Well, I feel a, real bad about it. A seventy-six we can, a, a seventy-six we can still get pretty reasonably. That's a big bumper, you know. Small. Yeah. I just, I haven't seen. I, I've seen a few. I've seen a few notches, but I haven't seen a lift back in forever. And when they are, they're highly modified and very expensive. But maybe someday. Yeah, there's there's a few out there. When you're ready to look, we'll find one because I definitely know of a few. <laughs> But some some not northeast cars too, so there's definitely a few out there. Yeah, and, and these were all northeast cars, so they all were on on borrowed time as it was. Yeah, you can't well, you can't feel well worn when they. You, you can't feel too bad about well ruining a rusty car. No. So, um, so no then worries. yeah, bounced bounced around a lot. Um, Seventy six Firebird Formula it was a big block four speed car. Didn't run very often. Um, then went to a. Chevy Love pickup, better known as Isuzu Pup. Isuzu, Isuzu um, Yeah. There's an apostrophe uh, in there you can't forget. Yeah, no, no. Um, early 70s Charger, and then I guess with other random ones that don't really matter too much, and that led me to my 87 MR2, which I purchased in 1990 um, because I'm pretty old, which I still have today. Yep. And that's probably been the most significant one over time, I'd say. And that's what kind of led me into the internet car culture into the 90s and the, the mailing lists and the message forums and sort of brought that aspect of, of car culture into my life. So I do thank that car for that. Yeah, you got to wonder, though, if it was, if, was it that car that did that or just the era? Because no matter what kind of car you had as a car enthusiast in the mid-90s, that's kind of mm-hmm. when that would have happened. Um, I, yeah, I think it was probably a combination of both. You know, the internet was new to me, so of course you just went and, and started searching for what you had. and um, So it, it, it was probably just that it was a bit of a quirky oddball car, so I think that helped. 
yep. um, formed some bonds, some friends that I still have today. Whereas later on, when I bought my Mustang and went down those same roads, I do I do have friends and relationships through through those channels as well. But um, yeah, just a little bit different in a more conventional genre. Yeah, and I, I guess I can the, I can kind of go along with that because. You know, I'm a couple years younger than you, but I have had my Camaro mm-hmm. since I was eight years old. So I've mm-hmm. had it. I've had it since the '80s, um, mm-hmm. and I've never had any kind of online internet membership to any real muscle car, Camaro, American car kind mm-hmm. of things. It's always been more towards the Japanese stuff. Maybe yeah, just the community is different as a, as a whole. I think. Yeah, I think when you're kind of a bit of an outcast, you you sort of embrace any any relationships that can come from that. When, right. you're, when you're driving an oddball eclectic car. Well, thankfully, Andrew and I always head each other to uh, bounce yeah. ideas off of. <laughs> well, it's just so easy to to find muscle car stuff here in the yep. states. Which and there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's cool stuff, but uh, yeah, we're we're into it. Just we aren't as into it. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of that's always been financial too, because as it's a young always car- been expensive. As a young car enthusiast, I couldn't afford a Hemi Cuda. You know, I couldn't afford a big block mm-hmm. Chevelle, but I could afford a clapped out turbocharged Eagle Talon. You know, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. You know, muscle cars were cheap, but we were too young to drive at the time. Yep. And then they really started to hit big numbers. Started kind of in the nineties. Yeah, in the late in the late nineties when we were really you know getting on our feet as far as having money to buy cars. Yeah. clapped out muscle cars were going for huge money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and every, every, you know, everybody started watching auction results and being like, oh, that rusty hulk in my backyard is worth 75 grand? What did I know? Yeah. Yeah, and then before you know it, the base models were, were climbing out of reach as well. So yep. you couldn't even have an, an aspirational car that looked like that what you, what you wanted. It was just out of reach. And now we're at a point that a high school kid today thinks a 78 four-door Buick Electra is a muscle car, so... Yeah. Yeah. We've gone gone way past past where we should have. Sure. Well, maybe out of that we can save some Malays-era cars, because they they need love as well. That is our job. We have to love the unloved. (laughs) We have to have a loved car like an MR2, and then a collection of crap that nobody wants, except for us. (laughs) Although, by the way, exactly. at the Starion, we did just see that low mile one sell for like fifteen grand on Bring a Trailer. So, yeah, um, okay, yeah, that's the Bring a Trailer effect in full full form for sure. Yep. Plus, I had low so miles. I, it, it did, it did, and that was I'm sure that had quite a bit to do with it. But it'll be interesting to see what that what that makes people think their cars are worth. Yeah. Well, um, the Starion community is notoriously. Um, We'll call them frugal. That mm-hmm. runs through the entire Mitsubishi range of cars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they've always been inexpensive for so long that now mm-hmm. when certain nice ones are popping up and people are asking real money for them, people are getting outraged. And it's yeah. like, well, mm-hmm. what do you want? Yeah. Everybody wore out a bunch of these cars and threw them away. And now nice mm-hmm. ones are hard to find, so they're going to cost more. Supply yeah. and demand. Yeah. Supply and demand. For oh. sure. Hopefully someday I'll have a nice enough starion to command some money, but in the meantime I'll hold on to my crap. <laughs> Speaking of which, I saw a it must be an '88 Conquest in Beverly because it's purple. Uh, it's yep, the same color purple. It's the same car as my car. Yep, 
Yeah, it's been parked there for probably a year now. Okay. Um, Beverly, for those listening, is the next town over from Salem <laughs> here in Massachusetts. Actually, a police officer friend of mine called me about that car. Oh. Um, because I sent him a picture when I picked up my car in that uh, oh, he dirt, thought it was dirt that car? maroon. He goes, oh, you got the car from Beverly. And I was like, nope, I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. Um, he went over and knocked on the guy's door. Yep. And apparently wow. the car belongs to a 15-year-old. Okay. And the father and son are restoring the car together. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I don't uh, want to take that no, away. From no, them. no, I don't no. want to take that away from them. So we'll let them keep that one. Somebody's doing something with it. Yeah, exactly. So that's right. what the car's doing. Right, over fair there. enough. Anyway, but yeah, no, that made me kind of happy to see that there is somebody young who's still into it a little bit. Somebody who knows what Starion is. He probably knows from Forza, but that's fine. Where that's what those games are learn. for. Right? Yep. Teaching that's car history. Somewhere. Yeah, well, that's how we got into foreign cars, probably, because we're of the Gran Turismo generation. So mm-hmm. I was raised by an American Almost. car family. And most kids know what a, what a GTR is. That's 100% why they even sell them here. That's why they sell WRXs here. Exactly. You know? Oh, for sure, exactly. Yeah. So can beat that dead horse at the end of the day, but it is what it is. That's why, that's why I can't yeah. believe that Toyota pulled all their cars from video games. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. It's, well, they're yeah, that's just what they become. Yeah, they become a company of Camrys and Reapskin BMWs, but that's a whole other topic <laughs> yeah. for a whole other day. <laughs> um, so we're talking about getting into Malay's era and then cars that are portable now. Yep. Um, does that bring us into the Radwood Starion? Do we want to go? I mean, yeah, I would say yes. So this is the car we talked about at the top of the show. Yep. And we've talked about it a few times because we love Starions, or I particularly love Starions. Um, we all love Starions, but... I've been obsessed for a long time. Um, we saw the car in Philadelphia. I think Andrew even took pictures of it. I have a not? picture of it, yeah. Excellent. So I'll post it. Yeah, I'll have to post a picture of your car from when you first bought it so that people can see what it was and where it's become. Actually, it looks pretty much the same on the outside. It was it's really clean on the outside, yeah. I think. Yeah, the, the, the interior under the hood has had some market improvements. Okay. I didn't see under the hood, so I don't know. Yeah, it was, clo- it was closed for a reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> been there when freshly bought the car had been sitting for quite a long time um and the we, we cleaned it as well as we could with a, a day to prepare right uh, from when i from when i bought it so before but, we get uh, before we get too deep into that part of the story sure you came to radwood philadelphia yes you live in phoenix arizona i do you didn't have a car at philadelphia to bring to philadelphia so you did what any reasonable human being would do, and you bought a car on the East Coast to bring to the car show. Pretty reasonable. Right. So yeah. what was the reasoning for you to even think that was a good idea? Was there a uh, plan over beers? Was it a dream in the middle uh, of the night? Like it, what? <laughs> it, it all starts with beers. Um, so this started probably years, years ago. Um, likely over beers where I had driven across the country a few times, partially in the, in the course of moving here and moving some of my cars here. And I had done kind of a bonsai run with the MR2 when I moved it. Because you non-stop. moved from, from Eastern Pennsylvania, Pen- correct? From Pennsylvania. Yeah. From yeah. Eastern Pennsylvania. So I had moved that car, um, in a, in a nonstop cannonball style drive. And I've done this, then repeated this a few times over the years in, in various larger, uninteresting vehicles. And 
I had come up with this idea where wouldn't it be fun to fly to the East Coast where I know people and I have a, at least a home base and I can I can have a place to stay, buy some some cheap ratty car on Craigslist, do minimal improvements to it, and then immediately drive it across the country. I always try to take a different route every time I cross the country. Um, and then bring it back here and try to sell it for what I paid for it and just in the hopes of just breaking even and, and doing this just for the, the cost of gas and get a fun story out of it. So that was that side of it. The second side was last year when Radwood 2 happened in L.A. I had found out about it just at the very last minute when it was just about too late to get there even from from Phoenix. Um, we considered a last-minute trek, but there was no way to get cars there. So then it became a thing of, well, if this happens again next year, we will certainly do this because these are my people. I own these cars. I have the BMX bike from when I was a child, when I was 14, still have that. So I, I live this. This is, I may, this is obviously a, a good fit. <laughs> I may have to let you borrow my ultra-rare um Starian Fitment Tooley Rack, so you can bring your bike to the next Radwood. Ooh, yeah. That has been that was kind of the original the original thing is that if, if when we went this year to LA, had not all this other stuff happened, that we would take a few cars and and I get the bike and I've been kind of working on a restoration of that. Um, it just needs to be reassembled now, like so many other things in our lives, and then I would then take the bike and have that there as well. So. When Philly was announced, um, my wife is very codependent in these ventures, so there was this idea we came up with. Well, we'll go visit some people. We haven't been there in a while. We didn't live too far from Philadelphia, so that's a nice, easy drive. And we'll we'll go check out this this cool event ahead of going to L.A. And and that quickly snowballed into well, hey, that you know that thing that I wanted to do. How about if I just do it with an older car and hey, there's a Daytona for sale on Craigslist and it's cheap and um, and it sort of snowballed. Um, I actually tried to buy a few cars in advance, but typical sketchy Craigslist people they don't respond and especially they, when they you're cross country, yeah. especially then, yeah, they they think you're a crazy person even when you're like, look, this is your car's five hundred dollars and it's been for sale for a while, so this is probably your best lead and yep. this is what I'm going to do. But none of that panned out. Um, again, my wife's a bit codependent, so she started casually searching through the old eBay. And she came across this car. This is my wife, Nanette, who you've met. I have. Um, she came across this car initially. An, an, an enabler of the highest degree. A, a very much an enabler, yeah. <laughs> so she presented this to me of, hey, you've always talked about these cars you've always said you wish you would have had one of these cars and here's one of these cars. And I looked at the price and I'm like, you're a crazy person. That, I'm looking at $500 and this is not $500. Um, but it, it, it kind of just kept going and going. And then one day I decided I'd wait till the very end of the auction and throw in the, throw in the minimum bid. I was the only bidder, and before you know it, I was I was day drinking in the pool and had just bought a bought a car. <laughs> Excellent. 
So, yeah. Did, did you have uh, any knowledge of the mechanical maladies that a Starion can bring before you purchased the vehicle? Oh, oh yes, quite a bit. Okay, I have uh, quite a few friends that owned these cars in the 90s when they became, say, affordable for a 20-year-old with their first reasonably decent job. Yep. And most of those um, ventures ended poorly, as as was the case with many of them, which is why yeah. the, the numbers have dwindled. As they have. So, oh, no, I, I, I went into this with full knowledge that this could be, um, this could be a difficult experience. An epic disaster. Yeah, but that almost immediately kind of propelled the the story that hadn't even begun yet of, well, doesn't this make it more interesting now? Because one of the cars I had looked at on Craigslist was a, was a, an Integra, um, a second gen Integra that was hitting the passenger side. And my thing is I can bring that back here and I can part it out for more than I paid for it. And the car will run forever hitting the passenger side, but mm-hmm. that's not really interesting because, well, it, it, it's a Honda. It can't really fail. So, and I never always wanted a second gen Integra, but I always wanted a Starquest car. So this, this certainly was a better fit in the end. And it made it ultimately to skip ahead a little bit. It, it, it did. It did. Um, so we saw the car in Philadelphia. It had a note on it. Do you remember what was on the note? It was more of a. I do. It was yeah. It was it was more of like the the car show sandwich board, but in like loose leaf paper on the dashboard instead of in front of the car. Yeah, it was it was kind of. Um, I know I know you often use the the Mitsubishi apologist term. It was sort of an apology <laughs> for the for the way the car looked, um, because yeah, I just like yes, this is freshly bought. I'm. Without going out and saying it, I'm kind of apologizing for that. It's not really car show material, um, so it just was mainly a quick, a quick recap of what I was doing, um, so that somebody can walk up to it and say, "Why is this ratty thing?" But you hadn't been to Ra- you hadn't been to Radwood before either, so you know <laughs> that the the standard of restoration is not exactly uh, an important. It's more about the car itself and the story behind yeah, the car. This, this is this is true. Yeah, for the regular area that's not royalty, like just show up with mm-hmm. your '80s '90s car and ready to have a good time. And, have a good time, and man. nobody cares. Yeah, does, yeah. Does, doesn't well, need to be special. It also it also served a purpose to cover many of the NASCAR inspired gauges that had been screwed to the dash <laughs> that's by true. the previous owner. Not all of them, but many of them. You so, hit you hit them well. I I try to hide them as well as I can. It would have been easier to hide them if they weren't in chrome buckets, but, you know, we only get so much. I mean, I suppose I read the note, and then I was like, okay, all right, I get this guy. (laughs) I was like, I understand. We were were totally down with the story of you driving across country, but we never got a chance to find out who you were that day because, you know, nobody knew who you were because you just showed up out of the blue with this car. I did, and I didn't really spend any time at the car because um, the parking I I got wasn't – the super greatest. And once we arrived and were in the staging line is when I first discovered that the car didn't have the greatest oil pressure in the world when it was hot. Uh-huh. Um, after with that discovery being kind of a fresh thing, I got the car parked and I locked the doors and just decided that I wasn't going to let this ruin my day. And I was going to spend the whole day walking around, looking at amazing cars and awesome culture 
and just completely forget about the potential disaster that I had just paid for two days prior. Right. So I didn't really have much interaction with, with pretty much anybody because I didn't go back to the car until I went to leave. That's and fine. I said, I hope this thing stopped. Yeah, you, you you enjoyed yourself the way you wanted to, and that's the important part of any Radwood event. To be a lot of people you. don't stand near their cars at a Radwood. It's just the way it is. You just walk around and enjoy it. It's because not by you stand how you yeah. not, not why how you stand by your car, Andrew. Yep, yep, it's yep. how you walk around the car show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did, it limited my interaction with people a little bit. Where as um, by contrast, in LA, I talked to probably a hundred people between the two cars, which was super cool. Uh, yep. to have those connections where again i just i just wanted to not think about it and if it was going to be an issue i didn't want that to, to hamper the experience well you, what I went you, you were parked a couple so. of cars down from somebody who drove up you know a couple hundred miles in a renault alliance so you were definitely in the it might not make it home yeah. and, oh and a citron as well yeah the weird citron um like ambulance yeah yeah yeah, the, the joke was well there was it was actually a, i think it was an 80s um sm or something like that that was two cars down for me and when that car started at the end of the day i was like oh well this this is this is sure ironic now isn't it i mean a delorean yeah. overheated a delorean always overheats at one of these shows <laughs> so <laughs> there's that yep. um yeah. so once the show was over how did you leave right away to go back to Ar- to arizona um I drove the car back. We were staying with a friend um, about 50 miles north. So I drove the car back up there. And that was kind of the thing of, well, we'll see. We'll see how it does on the way back. And yeah. seemed, seemed okay. Um, contacted a buddy with the garage. And we changed the oil, put some 2050 in it. Mm. Fixed, sort of fixed a few things to try to get it roadworthy and just figured, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. The backup plan was always a. A U-Haul and a, a the smallest U-Haul I could rent in a car trailer or a tow dolly. So, um, yeah, we left them the following the following morning, it's uh, Monday morning, and did the same deal as uh, I'd done years before. Drove straight through. Um, buddy that I was staying with came with just to kind of, I guess, uh, enjoy the self-deprecating experience with me, but. The car defied us all, and it, it made it here pretty much no worse for wear. Yeah, and it was pretty much an uneventful trip as well, too. There was no no scary moments or anything, huh? Um, no, not really. It, uh, the cruise control does not work, and that made it a little difficult. Um, the car had a bunch of drivability issues, running super rich, Um so it really needed to be maintained at a, at a very steady 3,000 RPM as much as possible. And that is basically what gave the best combination of oil pressure and um, and and the best drivability. So that was probably the biggest challenge was, was to constantly be modulating the throttle under changing road conditions. Even a slight change of wind makes a, a difference that you normally don't realize. See, this, this is what I love about somebody like you or like me or like Andrew. Like most people drive a car and they just pay attention to their speed. Mm-hmm. People, people, you know, our general podcast listening base, I'm sure, is the same way. Like we, we drive cars that I think Andrew has described in the past as like an acceptable, acceptable level of disrepair. Yeah. So you you have to 
you know, change your ways in order to keep them running. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I've learned how to keep my Raider running at a steady 65 without bogging down when it runs too rich or falling on its face. When, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just a constant, perfect throttle pressure to not quite, you know, require secondaries in the fuel injector in mm-hmm. the carburetor. You make excuses for the car yeah. and the way you drive it. Exactly. You should have seen <laughs> me dropping my car off in storage. I was like, all right, so when you start it, the choke sticks a little, so it's got to idle for like five minutes. But then, if you want to open the hood, you need two people because somebody has to push down on the hood while somebody pulls the release handle for the hood. When you shift the car to a drive, you have to go beyond drive into second and then back up into drive. So I was given this whole list of things, and the guy's sitting in the car laughing at me as he's parking it next to you know a Ferrari 458. Um, and he's just laughing at me, and I'm like, I know it's probably fine. You're probably used to it. I'm just I feel so bad leaving this crap can. Here. I mean, if they're dealing with like old. Like 30s and 20s cars, like there's a whole. They don't have anything that old. There's a whole like checklist of things to like start one of those things. Yeah, I just, I, I, that's what I love about older crappy cars. I love the personality they have and how they want to fight you all the time. I don't know. I think if they're dealing with 90s Ferraris, your car is probably simpler and has less quirks. So I'm sure it does. But to me, as somebody who doesn't know the exotic side of car ownership, I only know Mm -hmm. the clapped out, rescued from a junkyard side of ownership. It's totally foreign concept to me to think of any of these cars needing anything other than a key. So, so how many? Oh, okay. I was sorry. I was going to ask, like, what was the mileage and how many hours is that from Philly to Arizona? Uh, twenty four hundred, almost exactly. And I think time wise, it was just a little over thirty seven, right around there. Pretty much just stopped for gas and oil and occasional food. And that's right around what I did with the MR2 in 2005. So I was I was pretty happy that I kept pace with the with the potentially um, troubled car. Yeah. Huh. So you got it back to Phoenix. Yes. You did some work to it. Yeah. Um, uh, cleaned it up. Best. Yeah. What What did it require yeah. for the the next planned trip, which was of course Radwood, LA. Um, that was pretty much just assessing what I had bought, um, and removing, removing the, most of the gauges, um, the oil pressure one needs to stay for a while, but most of them, most of them are gone. Um, that one was more about cosmetics because it is closer. So it wasn't that big of a, that big of a deal, uh, to have the car perfect. Um, it's pretty much just getting rid of a lot of the questionable modifications that the previous owner had done to it, Un- undoing the yellow caliper paint and the poorly installed manual boost controller that wasn't connected right anyway and just resulted in a bunch of vacuum lines not where they were supposed to be or just completely disconnected or some tightened knots. They were, and they were vacuum lines tightened knots? The vacuum lines tightened knots. That's, That's good. Apparently that's a that's a, a new that's, way to that's that's an acceptable East Coast modification. Okay, plug, plug a vacuum. <laughs> I would at least use a screw. That's just me. Yeah, yeah, cut it short and screw it, cap it off. But all right, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, pretty much it was it was cosmetic. Uh, I spent a lot of time buffing the the top surfaces of the car because, like I said, it had been stored and not inside. Trying to get some some shine back out of it. Um, repainting the louvers. 
and repolishing. The wheels have been polished at some point, not well. So, but basically too too far gone to go back and they couldn't be painted again. So needed to just uh, continue to polish them. And that got it in, in pretty good visual condition where I was pretty happy. The car has had some paint work over the years at multiple times in multiple places. None of it matches all that great, but it, it made it a pretty good 10-footer as far as a, a display situation goes. So I was pretty pleased with yeah, I know a lot of people have said a lot of people have said it's one of the best looking star paint they've seen in a long time. That obviously they didn't get too close, but you know, <laughs> which is enormously complimentary because yes. I've certainly seen way nicer ones, and that's that's pretty flattering. I, I think it also but, goes um, it also goes to show you how the majority of them are condition wise now. You know, thirty hmm, years later, for sure, they're not really clean. But sure. and, and honestly, you're looking at your car through your eyes. Um, so you mm -hmm. know every flaw and you know every little mark on the car and your car is exceptionally clean looking for that era of a Mitsubishi product. So kudos. It is good looking. Uh, well, thank you. Appreciate it. But so then LA was next and you made it to LA. LA was, yeah, LA was great. Um, took the, took the Starry and then my wife and Annette's CRX, which, uh, she couldn't make it to some work things but i had a buddy drive that out with us and that she, she wasn't in la she was not oh okay no. i assume she was because the car yeah. was there no no i had my buddy aaron um he flew out from houston mm -hmm. to uh to check out radwood so he he was a co-driver uh to get that car out there so that was that was pretty cool to get both because that was the original plan is to take that and the mr2 so when Starting came along and it had a story. It obviously needed to go, but we did want to take the the Honda as well. So right, the Honda is also cool a very clean. Get. The Honda is also a very clean car. Um, so your friend Aaron, who drove the CRX out there, is actually mm -hmm. the reason that any of us even know you existed. <laughs> actually, that that it wasn't. That was my other friend Mike. Oh, it's Mike. Okay, who sorry. Has yeah, who has the Capri RS. Oh yeah, the Turbo Capri. Yep. Yeah, he's he's the one that found found you guys working at the uh, the merch booth. Yeah, he found Naomi working at the merch booth, um, and he okay. was talking to her about your story about buying the car and going to Radwood Philly and driving it home and driving mm -hmm. it here. Um, and then Naomi told me about it, and she's like, "Oh, it was a Galatasaray." So immediately, my Mitsubishi brain went 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 off. Um, and I had to see, I had to seek you out and find you and, and hear the story for in, in person here. So yeah. we can, we, we can thank Mike for, uh, bringing this whole thing together here, but for sure. No, that was, that was pretty cool because I was excited to hear the car was there. I hadn't actually seen it. Hmm. Um, even though I was parking cars as they pulled in, um, mm -hmm. you know, directing traffic, I may have directed you where to park, mm -hmm. but I was so busy doing it. I didn't even notice I did it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even notice the car or notice it was the same car from Philadelphia at first. So cool that he pointed it out because then, you know, I think you actually got a post on the Radwood official page and you had some, you know, a little bit of notoriety for doing what you did, which I think is awesome. So yeah, it, which was super cool and super flattering because it, it, didn't, it didn't mean that much. I mean, it was, it was cool to me, but it didn't mean that much. But then to see that other people approve his nonsense is, is pretty awesome. I know the story is cool. It's a lot of work. It made it to L.A. with, you didn't have to do anything with oil pressure to 
Like you just drove um, it as it, is, or you just threw in like some Lucas yeah, and. It, <laughs> I, it, it's been a few oil changes, um, and the pressure continues to slowly drop hmm. at, at, at hot, sustained freeway driving. Um, when you were draining LA the oil, isn't, was uh, like bearing material coming out, or didn't appear to be. The oil looks terrible, even when it's fairly new, and it. it it thins really fast, but it doesn't smell like fuel. Yeah. And the, the level doesn't change with anything. It goes down with, uh, with miles. So it's still a bit of a mystery, um, but it's, not, it's certainly getting worse. It's definitely not getting any better. Hmm. And, and even more so after this last, last adventure. Yeah, which, so you, you made it home from L.A., obviously. Mm-hmm. Did some more work on cleaning the car up. Did some minor more, more, minor, minor repairs. More, more fixing stuff. Yeah. Yep. And then... Uh, which I'm interested, before we get too far, yeah. I did see you, you repaired the rear axles. Yep. Which yes. the purple car needs too, but they don't mm-hmm. make the boots anymore? Um, they. I used the Rock Auto numbers for the outer. Okay. And the the, the, the Beckartley numbers they have listed for the outers worked, and they fit really good. I had read some stuff here and there online that none of them existed, but sure enough, Rock Auto had a part number for the outers, so I went with that. They, yeah. they seem to show sort of a generic one for the inners, and I didn't try those. Instead, I used a number that I had found on one of the forums um, that is from the, I think a nineties actor, uh, outer. Hmm. And supposedly somebody spent a lot of time cross-referencing it to come up with, with some alternatives. Those, they could feel a little bit better. The, the small end is a little too tight. The big end is a little too loose, but at the end of the day, they clamped on pretty nice. And now it's had over 2000 miles and they're, they're dry. So I'll call that a, I'll call that I a was bad. actually given a number after I mentioned that quickly at one of our other podcasts and somebody messaged me with a part number for a Montero front axle, Montero sport, I think front axle. That makes mm-hmm. sense. That has a part number that works on the inners, on the rears of a conquest. That makes sense. Sorry, Anna. Okay. And at least with the way, cause it's, you know, obviously it's the rear axle. So those boots aren't going to have to turn. They just go up and down. With suspension, yeah, they have a much easier life than a front, yeah, than a exactly. front wheel drive outer. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's that's good to know. So we'll have to do those to to Brad's car. Oh yeah, it's definitely in the in the plans. Yeah, once I get the engine sorted out, which I want to do this weekend, if you're around, mm-hmm. by the way. All right, cool. Um, yeah, so after that, a little challenging. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so after you did all that, uh, you did some other stuff to the car, and then you decided to drive to Texas. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah uh, glutton for punishment, I guess. Uh, they yeah, they announced another Radwood that I seem to think technically was within range. And once again, it started out as, well, we should take the CRX to this because it doesn't get a whole lot of use. And it's a Honda and it's super reliable, so this would be easy. Um, but somewhere through that conversation, it's it, then that little thing comes up of, well, wouldn't it be cool? And next thing you know, I'm I'm prepping this possibly broken car to do this once again and, and put on another two thousand miles. 
but here we are, and we're, we're we're a bunch of oil pressure later. But other than that, the car's just ticking along. So, yeah, I was pretty stoked when you said you were going to be bringing the car to um, Austin, Texas, because I was also planning on driving it old Mitsubishi to Austin, Texas. I think. <laughs> all right, maybe Ron's car is the only car that's been to three different ones. Maybe we'd have to check with the let's check with the Radwood guys, but it might possibly be. Yeah. There were a few cars that have been coast to coast. There's a Cadillac. Yep. The, the Cadillac was, was the other like coastal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we took my Gallant to Atlanta. There were a few cars that were at Atlanta that were at the Texas show. Okay. There were a bunch of Mercedes that were there. Yeah. Um, there's a guy I know who has driven from. He drove to the Atlanta show. He drove to the Philadelphia show, and he drove to the Austin show, but not in the same car each time. Okay. I like this game, though. I like that people are actually driving <laughs> to these shows. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. So they're actually using these cars, which is cool. Yeah, which is half, half of the reason that we like the Radwood era cars, because they're usable vintage cars. Mm-hmm. You can just drive them anywhere. And, you know, they're well, not good barely, but... Yeah, well, you, you, supposedly you can. <laughs> Most of the time they operate not... normal cars. Yeah. <laughs> but it's always it's for an interesting trip, because yeah. you never know. It does. It's definitely a edge of your seat the whole time, you know, a little bit of anxiety the whole time because you're mm-hmm. in a car that not only is old and could break, but when it does break, it's hard to get parts. The Talon broke in Philly. Yes, it did. And last time I took a road trip in a Starion Conquest, it died in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, by the tail of the dragon. Yep. Way in the middle of the woods, North Carolina. We've told that story. That's our favorite story of changing yeah, a of course. alternator. The DPW, DPW parking lot. After having it rebuilt with your, by a backwoods, with, 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 with your buddy, <laughs> yeah, the backwoods rebuilder with his interesting political leanings. <laughs> yeah, I admit, yeah. The thing is, when it comes right down to it, all of these cars are old. So you could have the the cleanest, most low mileage Honda, and you could still lose a part of a, a perfectly good appearing Bosch part could fail that would be difficult to get on a 30 year old car so it's yeah no no matter what you're, you're still in, assuming that risk if you're going to do these things that's half the fun yeah and the Talon in Philly was literally a rubber stopper that pushes the clutch switch that had I not had it happen before I would have not known what it was right <laughs> the car would have been in a tow truck so I'm hoping that my Sapporo will be the same show list that your Starring has made it to because mm-hmm. the car has now been to Philly and Austin. Now it just needs to go to L.A. So now you need L.A. And it'll be in Phoenix next month. So, Yep. Also, thank you in advance for that, too. <laughs> um, certainly. Certainly yeah. not a problem at all. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be garage mates for a little while. <laughs> or, at least, or at least property mates. I hope you have oil stains. <laughs> I'll, you, I'll put a pan. Oh, I'll put a God. pan under it. It's fine. Yeah, my phone's epoxied, and I have lots of leaking cars, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. The epoxy floor doesn't doesn't care. No, so you successfully made it now to three. I have a Mustang, Go ahead. So, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I have a Mustang, so I'm yeah, I'm good with leaks. Good, excellent. The American cars that always leak. Um, exactly. So you've made it to three Radwood events now with the vehicle. Mm-hmm. What is the next plan for that car? Are you going to rebuild the engine that's in it to get rid of the oil pressure issue? Uh, there's the there's the big question. So in in the short term, 
what I want to do before making any drastic decisions, because I've done this in the past, and I've, I've gone down rabbit holes, and I've had bad cars off the road for way too long. Um, so for right now, I think I just want to, want to kind of use the car and enjoy it a little bit locally. It is grounded to AAA plus range for for now, so it's not going further than 101 miles. Um, Got to do a few cars and coffee type things, and the the oil pressure doesn't become significantly low until the car is sustained heat and, and high RPM freeway type driving. So it's it's good for half hour to an hour, little jaunts here and there, and then the 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 longer term goal is to figure some plan out moving forward, have the thing back together and sorted in time for LA again in December. So the the two options currently on the table seem to be either sticking with this engine because overall it seems like it's fairly sound. Um, In spite of the oil pressure issue, there's no NOx, there's no, there's the typical uh, valve train noise that most of them have. But other than that, it's a strong engine, runs fairly well. Or then there's always the, the temptation of the, the, the one-day swap. Ooh. So those are those seem to be the, the two possibilities. Had during any of these little adventures, this car failed miserably or, or, you know, went down in flames, it would likely be the swap. It's, there's just, there's something about the car's persistence to not die that, that keeps the, uh, the option still open to do the, to do the, so. It's that little forklift engine just keeps going. Yeah. Little, little tractor engine won't stop running. Um, Um, the, no, go ahead. <laughs> oh, the you know, interesting side note to that is after bringing it back from Philly, one of the things I discovered is that the the end the shaft play on the turbo is so ridiculous huh. that the the shaft moves in and out and up and down. Ooh. The compressor wheel is chewed up. It looks like some some solid item went through it at some point. Yeah. Yet it, which is probably part of the cause for the oil loss because I'm sure the seal is not in great shape at this point but it um it works fantastic it boosts great it, the car makes great power it, it's shocking that it runs as well as it does for as sketchy as some of the stuff is in there so that i think is, is causing this sympathetic reaction of oh but it runs so well i can't just throw it away so so it doesn't blow any smoke but it consumes oil has low pressure that's so strange Hard acceleration, it, it puffs a little bit okay. when it boosts. And again, with, with that much end play um, on the shaft, I'm not surprised that there's there's some oil loss through the through the seal. Yeah, there's probably a big, but, uh, there's probably a huge constriction inside some of the in, the uh, intake piping there. The uh, intercooler mm-hmm. piping probably full of oil. <laughs> probably. Yep. You probably your, your your factory front mount is probably you know four quarts deep right now. It's like my Montero, yeah. the engine tick. Yeah. It just ticks and ticks. I've put like almost 10,000 miles on it. 
Still ticking away. So I'm like, do I bother taking it out yet? Like, just leave it. Yeah. <laughs> Prepare yourself yeah. for the big project in the future and just drive it till it doesn't drive anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just I'm I'm at the point now where it's down to it's under 30 pounds at freeway speeds. Ooh. Yeah, it's a very low it's number. Detained. Yeah, when when we brought it across the country, it was cold starting at around 80, and then at idle it would be down to about 20 when it was hot, but it would still make between at 45 and 50 on sustained uh, you know, 3,100 3, RPM. And each of these trips, it, it's, you kind of almost count on it to lose one, two PSI every couple hundred miles, and they're not coming back. So hmm. I think we've, re- we've reached the point where uh, the decision is going to be made. Well, I'm excited to see that car's future because I, I think you're at a point now where you've decided that it's not going to be the car that you drive cheap and put together and sell for the same amount of money you bought it for because no, you've, you've no. kind of fallen in love with the car. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a habit of not leaving, which is why I have to stack them in the garage now because they, they come and they don't go. So right. it's, it's, I think it's a keeper. <laughs> I think it's a keeper too because I like the car a lot and... Uh, I want to see it around for a while. I've seen a number of 1JCs swapped ones. It's common. Yeah. It's common. Mm-hmm. My my personal preference is for him to 4G swap it if he's going to swap it, but he doesn't he doesn't want to hear that. So. Oh, well, 1G's <laughs> already set up for real drive. It's like I'm okay with it. I'm not not okay with it. Yeah. Well, I already have one car with a standalone and it's annoying. So, I really like to keep something that could just run a factory ECU and start as if it was the car that it, it doesn't even know that it's not in the car it came out of and should just be a, a, a type of thing. But maybe that isn't as much fun as, hmm. as um, or maybe it is. That's where it's at now. Maybe that would make it too reliable and, and it wouldn't be as interesting. I think no matter what now, the story behind the car is almost more interesting than anything you can do with it. And that's what I really want to continue. Yep. Too. I want to keep doing keep doing events with it and and keep putting miles on it because I'm not I'm not really about preserving them for for the future. I yeah you know, I don't have any desire to cut it up or destroy it, but I don't I don't think they should be that precious. I think they should be driven. And no, that's always and, been that's always been our credo here. Like a car was built to be driven, drive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't. And don't. when I saw the odometer kick over ninety thousand um, on the way. Right before Austin, I kind of cringed a little bit, but then the second thought is, well, that's that's what that's what I bought it to do. I didn't buy it to to sit in a garage next to the Mustang that never drives. So right, yeah. What is the saying? Uh, what are you keeping it for the next guy? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. I uh, when I bought my Sapporo, it had about forty-seven thousand miles on it, um, and we tripped over seventy-seven on the trip to to Austin. So. Awesome. You know, I've put 30,000 miles in that car in seven years, and it was our five years, however long it's been. Seven years? Seven years? Yeah. I think 2012. And, the, you know, I, I put 30,000 miles on in seven years, and it had, you know, 40,000 miles in its first 30. So it is That's what so it is. That's so cool. Yep. You gotta, you well, if I keep them. doing these, these ridiculous highway runs, I can actually use the cliche that they truly are highway miles. All highway miles. Yeah. I know what I got. All highway miles. Exactly. But anyway, 
awesome. The car is awesome. I hope to see it around. It's a cool addition to our little group of Mitsubishis here. Um, Thanks, bud. I think Glad we'll have, to be appreciated. I think we'll have more coverage of it many times in the future, especially when I move out to your area and we do things with the cars together with my Mitsubishis and your Mitsubishi and your other cars and my other cars. But So being in Phoenix... Oh, uh, this, um, this can only end in tears. <laughs> oh, hey. At least we had fun on the way there. Being in Phoenix... Well, I have AAA. I have AAA, so it's fine. Being in Phoenix, does the car have uh, AC or does it work? Or? It, 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 it seems to work. Um, one of the vacuum lines that had been disconnected was to the climate control, and which also feeds cruise control, and I was hoping I could fix both at the same time, but that hasn't happened yet. Um, so when I got those fixed recently, I was pretty shocked to see the uh, compressor turn on, and hmm. I have no idea what it's charged with. Or how much of it's in there? There's something the, in there if it's triggering the compressor. There's, there's yeah, there's enough in there to turn the compressor on. So that was pretty, pretty impressive. Um, the kind of crazy futuristic for 1988 primitive for now climate control system. I'm never exactly sure if it works the way it's intended to or not. And that's probably the case with most of them because you're just pushing buttons and you don't really know what it's interpreting that as, as opposed to sliding a lever or, or pushing a mechanical button. But the the compressor does seem to trigger on when you go below a certain temperature, and it, it does come on with the defroster as well. So we're just about just about today started hitting some temperatures where that could be helpful. So yeah, it was, I, it was twenty it was twenty eight degrees today, I think maybe twenty five degrees today. Oh well, Phoenix. That's right too. Yeah. Oh, I think I just heard you. But did you say eighty-five? Yeah. That's pretty much what I saw. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So just to tell you how unreliable um, Starion Conquest AC is. And anyway, I've had five of these cars, and I have yet mm-hmm. to have one with working air conditioning. I feel like mm-hmm. um, it's not common. It's a unicorn. On East Coast cars to have AC working old cars? No, because it's not one of those things mm-hmm. that gets fixed. Yeah, you don't need it technically, so people don't fix it out here because uh, we might have a couple days that are like super hot and you can want AC in your old car, but otherwise you just no. deal with it. But out west, yeah. The other difference with, between here and out west is there's way more air conditioning repair shops out west. Yeah. There is. It's a much bigger industry. Although you'd be surprised. You, you'll you may have seen it in the past, but you'll certainly see it in the future, where if you're stuck on the freeway in the middle of August, um, you'll be surprised if you start looking around and we play a little game to pass the time when you're in traffic of just spotting the cars that have the windows rolled down when it's 110. <laughs> and you, you just kind of look at them and say, seriously, you couldn't have just... It, you couldn't have done whatever it would take to fix that. And these aren't necessarily old, clapped-out cars either. Just yeah. 20-year-old cars. And chances are some of them are just the, the effects of the molecular structure of the refrigerant just goes by the O-rings. And they literally do just need a pound to get the, the, the compressor to work again. And there's so many people that just sit there and they're suffering. Yeah, that's a, that's I feel a terrible like, place to be. So it happens here, too. I feel like when I move there, I'll be okay with those 110-degree days with the windows down because it'll be new to me. 
but then after a year or two, It'll I'll be like, out. I want air conditioning. And you adjust. You, it, you get a little I mean. bit more tolerance yeah. for it. But what you do is you lose tolerance going back. So right now, when I go back east, um, it needs to be under certain conditions times of the year. I, I, not now. I don't think I could be there right now. No, not now. Not with the dampness. If I, if I, I can, can handle the cold, but not the dampness. If I bought you a ticket to come out here right now, you wouldn't take it. <laughs> um, That depends if there was an adventure involved. Oh, okay. I haven't come up with an adventure, maybe, so... Maybe if I was driving an interesting car back. I do have, like, four or five cars and need to go back, so you're welcome to come out. <laughs> that is a problem you have. We, we we have talked about that in the in, the, in yeah. the future, but we'll get to that at a later date as well, so... Let's get the first one moved first. Yeah, well, it's almost there. A couple more weeks. Anyway, thanks for coming on, Ron. It's been awesome to have oh, you. Thanks for having me. Um... I'm super excited to have another Mitsubishi in the fold. Um, super excited to see what kind of stuff we can do in the future as far as some auto off-topic stuff with, with, with you and us and everybody and just have some more uh, more adventures await. So more Radwoods, car more cars, more West Coast car events, more everything. We have a more lot beer. of experience. So I'll be living there. Andrew will have to come visit, and you live there, so it'll be easy. Sure. So, and I have a whole network of vintage Mitsubishi people out there now. So, I have some more people you need to meet that are in the game too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, yeah. But we got. He doesn't. Ron doesn't own a Montero yet. That's part of the trifecta. But he does own an FJ. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. So he's like our West Coast Jordan. He has the reliable new SUV to save our asses when we break. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has pulled out some Jeeps. So yeah. there is that. Yeah, well, we've been joking about getting um, our friend Jordan's Xterra, like, kill stickers with the shape of a Montero for all the Monteros he's pulled out of the mud. (laughs) And it's mostly not due to Monteros being bad. It's due to those particular Monteros being broken. But regardless, life goes on. But again, thank you for coming on, Ron. Um, I think we're going to do our closing right now. Yeah, and um, hang on there for one second. If you've got um, any social media, if you want people to follow you on Instagram, uh, feel free to plug that. Oh, if, if anybody would like to, it's it's just Ron LP, R-O-N-L-P on IG. All right. Um, and as always, you can follow Auto Off Topic on Instagram, Auto Off Topic Podcast on Facebook. Follow me, Race and Anger, on Instagram. Brad, where can they find you? TSISS350. All right. Keep cars analog and aim for the roses. And 